Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Novel. The majestic Lake George is nestled among the mountains of upstate New York. In the heat of the summer, the cool water is perfect for swimming, kayaking and boating. If relaxing is what you're after, kick back on one of the lakeside beaches, read a book, sunbathe, get away from it all. It's July 19th, 2005, and the Galantes are on a much needed vacation. Running a trash hauling empire that employs hundreds of people and a bad boy professional hockey team is exhausting. The Trashers have finished up their first season. And okay, they didn't win the Colonial Cup this time, but they certainly left their mark on the league and their rivals. The next season kicks off in October. The battle for victory is going to be tough. So it's important to catch a break now. A brief moment of quiet. <sighs> Jimmy's phone rings. It's one of his employees. Something's going on down at the yard. A line of vehicles rolls into the AWD parking lot. No, not garbage trucks, but a sleek entourage of smart black cars. Dozens of people step out and swarm the yard. Some are dressed in civilian clothes. Others have letters emblazoned on their dark jackets. F.B.I. They're here for one purpose. This is a raid. We were looking for records like contracts, physical paper records and things like that. Leading today's search is Special Agent Jeff Waterman. 
I'm currently the acting assistant special agent in charge of the New Haven division of the FBI. Jeff had only been with the FBI for two years in July 2005, but he'd climbed the ladder fast. I was the go-in, newer guy, get-stuff-done guy. He'd recently been made a case agent on a team looking into a special kind of crime. We called it La Cosa Nostra, Italian organized crime. Behind the scenes, hundreds of agents have been processing paperwork to get the undercover investigation to this point. And now, on this hot Tuesday in Danbury, Jeff is coordinating dozens of officers at the AWD headquarters as they rummage through filing cabinets, computer hard drives, and piles of receipts, shoving it all into big cardboard boxes. We were there many, many hours. There were multiple buildings, very large premises. The search itself took all day and through the night and into the next day with large moving trucks filled with records. As the sun cracks over the horizon, Jeff and his team are done. Heads turn and curtains twitch to catch a glimpse of the FBI cars snaking through Danbury. They're headed back to the Connecticut FBI headquarters in New Haven. And in their wake, a trail of whispered questions begins to ripple through the city. What the hell just happened to the Galantes? I think there were rumblings in the beginning of a raid. That morning, in the downtown offices of the Danbury News Times, crime reporter Karen Alley has her head down. There are a lot of criminal things going on that I was covering. Murders, rapes, assaults, all kinds of stuff. By the time Karen breaks away from Danbury's more gruesome underbelly, stories of an FBI raid down at Jimmy's yard have hit the newsroom. We just thought it was rumor, really, in the beginning, but we didn't really know. After a little journalistic corroboration, the rumor is confirmed. Okay, we have a story, and this is a big story, because the FBI raiding a big businessman like him, it's going to be a big deal. Karen and her colleagues gather in the newsroom. What's the plan? How are they going to get the scoop? Danbury is going to want to know what the FBI were looking for down at the Galante Trash Yard. Also in the office that day is young journalist Eugene Driscoll. He's been asked to help out with the story. He gives AWD a call and tells Jimmy he's after a comment for the paper. Jimmy invites him down to the yard. You walk in there, the whole place stinks of garbage. Eugene walks past piles of trash, cooking up a stench in the hot summer sun. He heads into the office building. Like many before him, he goes up to the second floor, Jimmy's office. It seemed inappropriately dark. Behind an enormous desk, sat in the gloom, is Jimmy Galante, back early from his vacation. Eugene notices they're not alone. You know, it's like, why is there a guy standing behind me at some part of the room in his office for no reason? It's all a bit weird. Eugene prepares himself. Journalists aren't often welcome at crisis moments like this. You'd think he'd go in there and he'd be angry and try to, like, give you the hundred-yard stare. But he wasn't like that. He was more just sort of, uh, not jovial, but he was almost like a prankster. Jimmy's smile doesn't exactly put Eugene at ease. He likes screwing with me a little clearly, but it felt to me like it was that thing like, you know, he's trying to set the mood, set the tone, 
dark room, you know, sort of unpredictable, keep me off my game. Eugene isn't here for games. He needs a comment for an article. What were the FBI looking for at the yard? And then he answered no questions. I asked him again and again, and there was nothing. After hitting his head against a wall of skillful evasion, Eugene ends the interview. Jimmy clearly isn't going to give him anything. And I was all right, all right, thanks for your time. I'll see you later. Eugene returns to the newsroom with more questions than answers. He knows that the FBI are looking into Jimmy Galante, but what are they really after? And if Jimmy's in trouble, why haven't they arrested him already? Jimmy gave a convincing impression of a man in control, smiling, pranking, dodging Eugene's questions. But maybe it's all an act. The people of Danbury will have to wait a little longer for the truth about Jimmy Galante, but not that much longer. I'm Claire Crofton. From the teams at Novel and iHeartRadio, this is The Fighty Pups. Game six, welcome to Trash Town. So everybody that's in this building has to be escorted at all times, right? Nobody can go in this building, not even in the stairway, not to the bathroom. I'm in New Haven, going through the security gates of the Connecticut FBI headquarters, a huge brown cube of a building laced with barbed wire. Yeah, very unglamorous place. I'm taken into a third-floor conference room to meet Special Agent Jeff Waterman. The sound is quite good in here, isn't it? It's okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, as long as you don't plan on hitting me with that thing. I mean, that would be worse for you than me, but... uh... That's true. I've been escorted past bomb suits, security guards, metal detectors, and walls of medals. I'm not allowed to bring my laptop or phone into the building, and I'm told there's a blanket ban on Bluetooth, so I have to leave my headphones at security in case I accidentally connect to the FBI's top-secret party playlist or something. So, yeah, I get the idea. The FBI have the upper hand here. Luckily, I'm not looking for confrontation, just information on Jimmy Galante and the raid on his trash yard back in the summer of 2005. But when I ask Jeff to tell me about the FBI's relationship with Jimmy, he says, to understand all this, we need to go further back in time to when Jimmy moved to Danbury in the 70s and started his own business, AWD. Over the next couple of decades, the business grew bigger and bigger. So far, so good. But in 1992, the FBI were alerted to a nasty incident involving the trash industry in Connecticut. The most glaring example in our case of historical violence was the kidnapping of a garbage truck driver where they bound and gagged him at gunpoint and burned the truck on fire to send a message to a large multinational uh, trash hauling company. The smoldering truck was found behind a shopping center in Danbury, and the FBI had to ask themselves, Who might be responsible for something like this? Who's been trying to build a trash empire in the city? There's at least one likely suspect, Jimmy Galante. But in the business of law enforcement, a likely suspect isn't enough to get a conviction. The FBI needed evidence. And evidence was hard to come by. It was not proven. At the time, no one was charged, but... Suspicion was beginning to swirl. 
that incident certainly was a very important event by way of Galante and his associates putting themselves on the radar of law enforcement. Jimmy's name is flagged again in the late 90s. This time, it's with the IRS. His tax returns don't look right. And after a bit of investigation, Jimmy's charged with tax fraud. And that's when Jimmy buys his young son a load of pizza and breaks the bad news. He's off to the slammer for a year. When he's released in 2000, Jimmy seems like a reformed man, focused on channeling his profits into good causes around Danbury. New playgrounds, new hospital wings. But in 2003, the FBI are back, sniffing around Jimmy's business again. And this time, it's more serious. It all starts with a scrap of writing. It was a note on a piece of paper from one of Galante's employees to an employee of one of Galante's rivals, a large multinational company, which said, no bid, Shelton. It may sound like naughty school kids passing a sneaky note. But the note was intended to be an offer to engage in collusion, to essentially fix a contract or a bid uh, for a contract with the city of Shelton. Contract fixing sounds a little dry, a little low stakes for a major FBI investigation. What about the flaming trucks and kidnappings? But trust me, this was a big deal. Because everybody needs their trash collected, right? Whether you're a business, a school, a hospital, or a family. And if everyone plays by the rule book, trash companies compete with each other to pick up your trash. It's the free market, the centerpiece of the American capitalist dream. And waste disposal in America is a huge free market. Today, it's worth over $200 billion every year. But this free market is suddenly not so free if companies are secretly talking and colluding. Like, for example, agreeing on when to compete with each other and how much to charge. The no-bid Shelton note suggested that Jimmy's company was involved in that kind of collusion. Essentially, it was an offer on Galante's part to not place a bid on trash hauling for the city of Shelton so that the other company would be in a better position and much more likely to win that bid. A generous offer, but a very illegal one, which made the FBI ask, what was in this for Jimmy? There's no such thing as a free lunch, especially among hard-nosed trash hauling businessmen. And the FBI suspected that Jimmy's company was instigating a bit of market rigging, inviting others to carve up territory so that he could control and dominate the industry. But as we all know from school, passing secret notes is a risky business. The company who received the note passed it straight onto the teacher. Well, law enforcement in this case. This propelled Jimmy Galante's name back onto the FBI's radar. Who knows whether the company who received the note genuinely wanted to clean up the trash industry, or if they were simply trying to remove their biggest competition from the market. Whatever their motivation, one thing's for sure. Jeff and his team were back on Jimmy's case. He was at the center, the main figure in this case. The case of the way trash hauling was conducted in western Connecticut and eastern New York. The FBI believed Jimmy Galante was the main player controlling the Danbury trash market. But they also suspected he was part of a much wider conspiracy. And they were going to need more than one scribbled note if they were going to uncover it. 
we had certainly a lot to learn. We had to figure out the breadth and depth of the criminal activity. The FBI started talking to all their sources on the ground, trying to gather information about Jimmy's company, working out how they handled business. Sure enough, the allegations came rolling in. Much of it was from victims who were trash hauling customers, and a lot of it was from people who cooperated with us, some confidentially. And what we learned, especially from the customers as well, is that Galante and others, primarily his company, they would um, engage in acts of threatening intimidation and all kinds of dirty tactics. But the FBI basically had a note and some hearsay. So still not enough evidence if they really want to bring this case home. And so you need to find ways to capture the evidence real time. The FBI hatched a plan to try and catch Jimmy red-handed. We had the prime opportunity to insert an undercover into the victim company in order to uh, act upon that offer. The offer Jimmy's company were making not to compete with the rival company when it came to contracts in the city of Shelton. Planting an agent directly into Jimmy's business without raising suspicion was going to be too risky. So the FBI decided to embed their guy into the company who received the no-bid Shelton note. The undercover agent could then take Jimmy's company up on that not-so-free lunch and work out exactly what was on the menu. That note about Shelton created the foothold that the undercover could then act on. Over the course of many conversations, the undercover agent builds a relationship with Jimmy's associates as he pretends to collude in a contract-fixing conspiracy. The FBI are so confident in their con, they take it one step further. The undercover agent pretends to lose his job, hoping that Jimmy's company might decide to hire him. And as far-fetched as the plan sounds, it works. By the summer of 2004, the undercover agent lands a job at Jimmy's yard. Now that he's inside the lion's den, he's able to gather evidence that Jimmy's head of sales is using his phone to engage in criminal conversations with other companies. That, among other pieces of evidence, formed the basis of the FBI to be able to ultimately seek a wiretap of his cell phone. Hello, you there? Yep. Jimmy, Big Daddy says, what did you want me to do? Everybody wants to fucking put their two cents in. Yeah. Keep your mouth shut. A few months before the Trashers play their first game, a judge authorizes the FBI to place a listening device on Jimmy's phone and the phones of nine of his associates. The investigation is building momentum. The numbers of people that were involved, it grew over time. So we had upwards of four or five full-time or nearly full-time case agents. And that doesn't account for the people in our monitoring room. And so you had many more people listening, monitoring the calls. When a court authorizes a wiretap, there are a few conditions. One, if you're listening, you've got to be recording. Two, if you're recording, you've got to be listening. And three, you shouldn't record or listen to anything that doesn't sound like it might be criminal. So how do the FBI know whether Jimmy's employees are discussing crimes? Well, let's just say it took a bit of figuring out. So what's up, motherfucker? I haven't heard from you. What's going on? 
busy, busy, hundred things cooking. You know, how's your secretary? You still, you, you still, still giving her the big two inch or what? No way. Kitty. That bad. Punch her in the face when you see her for me. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna kick yeah. her in the face. Actually, I promoted her. I'm getting a new one. She's hot. You got a new hottie coming in? Yeah. When? I mean, is that just plain old disgusting sexist banter, or a coded criminal conversation? People can be crafty, they can use code, they can be generally law enforcement conscious and not say too much. Meet me here. Hey, I'll see you at that place. You know, that those kinds of statements make it extremely difficult. Hello, you there? Okay, you're going to Mount Kisco to see the carpenter. Right. Because Gallietti needs cabinets in his house. Could carpenters be code for something sinister? You believe that? Hard to know. How many cabinets? Oh, no, I'm going to... I'm supposed to do the job. The same as what we were going to do on that other house. Some conversations definitely do seem to be about dodgy dealings. Dude, you taking that fucking stuff from me or what? Oh, that's right. We bid that shit with waste management a few years ago. Hey, did you get the city of Shelton bid? No, I didn't even bid it. Who got it? Uh, no, I was just wondering if you got a copy of it. It's, it's uh, due until like the end of the fucking month or the beginning of next month. I was just wondering if you got yeah, a copy. Yeah, you bidding it, Rich, or no? Fuck no. And some are just plain nasty. Why don't you do everybody a favor and take a ride up to the Marin Hotel and pull that compactor out of there? Otherwise, you're going to be in for a world, world of hurt. I'm getting ready to get on a plane and fly home because I'm about to lose my motherfucking mind right now. I'm going to fucking snap. Here is where I am, okay? I told you, Jimmy fucking expects to buy a company with a certain amount of fucking dollars, okay? Now, do not fuck Jimmy, because that's what you're doing. And at the end of the day, I am gonna turn into a motherfucking lunatic. I'm about to fucking snap in an airport and it's not gonna work. I will fucking take your motherfucking eyes out if you wanna fuck around. Oh, you do? I'll tell you what, motherfucker. You wanna fuck with me? You go ahead. You wanna see what kind of fucking, how much balls I got? Yeah, Joe, let me tell you something. Who the fuck are you talking to? Trust me, I will fucking destroy you. Who the fuck are you talking to? Believe this fucking cocksucker? Dude, now it's on, Joe. I'll be back there in fucking a few hours. Goodbye. So yeah, you get the idea. Some of these calls are definitely dodgy. Others, though, sound decidedly less criminal. Where's Uncle Jimmy? He, uh, I think he's down at the ice rink. Yeah, he loves that shit, huh? Oh, dude, hard fucking core, bro. And so the agents have to hone their sense for which conversations will lead to case-cracking clues and when the call is strictly personal and they legally have to stop listening. Well, hockey, fucking stupid, no? She's a stupid puck around. I don't know why, you in the hockey? Dude, I, you fuck that, man. The hero. Hockey fans out there might think that trash-talking their beloved sport should be criminal, but sadly for the FBI, it's not. Time to disconnect this call. Thanks, bro. All right, thanks, Rich. Bye. But as time passes, the FBI do feel like their investigation is getting closer. They're beginning to see how hockey fits in with all of this. Hello? Hello? Yeah. Yeah, I'm here. I need you to do me a favor today. In this case, the crimes associated generated money. That could then be used for other things, like purchasing a hockey team. The trashers. 
this team is officially branded bad boys and Jimmy's got people calling him thinking that this And so we developed an understanding as to a further criminal acts that were associated with the operation of the team. But we don't want the UHL to look fucking stupid. The Trashers are about to face off against a fearsome new opposition. The law. That's coming up after the break. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. You can work from the road while turning your vehicle into a powerful high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On a network that covers more roads than any other carrier, connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls. Finish up that presentation or answer last-minute emails. Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to see if you're eligible for a free trial today. Based on independent third-party data, always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Back in 2005, when Jimmy Galante's business was growing, he was constantly adding new names to his trash empire's payroll. And after unwittingly hiring that undercover FBI agent, he makes another unusual hire. My nickname was Diamond Dave. Diamond Dave is a beast. He's covered in battle scars and he looks like his nose has been broken a few times. In fact, Diamond Dave looks more like a hockey enforcer. And that's no coincidence. He got his nickname out on the ice. After fights, I would do the diamond cutter, which is you make a diamond symbol with your fingers after you win the fight, or sometimes I'd do it after I scored a goal or something. He stole this classy move from wrestling. And in 2005, when he was Trash's captain, it became his signature victory celebration. Yep, this little dance number sounds theatrical and quite ridiculous. But when you imagine Diamond Dave, this tank of a man, spattered with the blood of his rival, breaking invisible diamonds on his knee in front of a roaring crowd, it's scary. And Jimmy certainly approved. You'd always look up at Jimmy and give him a wink or a thumbs up or, or whatever you'd have to do to, to get his approval. In fact, he made full use of Dave's terrifying on-ice persona, when Dave was suspended for playing too rough, Jimmy would still ask him to attend game nights. He actually brought me just to sit behind the bench of the opposing team to intimidate them. This bad boy bravado added to the drama of the Trashers games. Fine, it was within the rules. But those kind of antics outside the arena? Well, that would be a totally different story. A story the FBI are now intent on looking into. Because, you see, Diamond Dave and Jimmy had an arrangement. Before Dave joined the Trashers, he'd had a rich hockey career. 
He'd played everywhere, from Canada to Russia. But at 32, he'd hung up his skates. That was until Jimmy and a handsome paycheck lured him back onto the ice. As thrilling as it must have been for Dave to get back to the sport he loved, his post-hockey future was also at the forefront of his mind. I told Jimmy that I wanted a career as well. So I signed a two-year deal as a hockey player and as a salesman for the trash company. As the FBI look deeper into Jimmy, they start to wonder, what are tough hockey players like Diamond Dave McIsaac doing on the payroll of Jimmy's trash company? They're probably not just regular sales guys, right? They would go to customers who would try to cancel their contracts and bring employees of the company who were bigger men who looked mean, who looked the part, I'll say. And many customers were intimidated into continuing their business relationship. Dave is happy to admit his job at the yard was unorthodox. You know, if someone was late on a payment, I'd go and knock on their door and say, hey, just checking on um, when you're going to make a payment. But Dave says he left his brutal persona on the ice. Jimmy would say, uh, oh, this guy's my collector, like making it sound like it was a mafia thing where I'd break bones or something. That wasn't the case. It was just I'd go politely and knock on doors and say, uh, you're a little delinquent on your payments. Uh, when can we expect it? You know. Dave maintains he was the perfect gentleman when he worked for the garbage company. If anyone felt threatened by his physique, well, that wasn't his problem. And Dave says that alongside being captain of the trashes and collecting debt for AWD and sometimes intimidating rival players, he and his teammates had other responsibilities too. Would have to make school appearances and hospital visits and sign autographs in town, like for the community. And it worked out great because then the community got more involved with us and we gave back to them. So whether we went for Earth Day to pick up trash with the community, or we went to a school to read to children, or we went to a hospital to visit some sick people. It just built up our reputation throughout the community as not only are these guys tough on the ice, but they're, you know, nice off the ice. Jimmy had his team sign additional work contracts that paid them for community work in Danbury. It all sounds quite nice, to be honest. The players are earning a good living and the people of Danbury get to watch their favourite hockey team give back to their city. Win-win, right? Well, the FBI don't see it that way. Galante did a variety of things to pay the players more money. Special Agent Jeff Waterman says the extra contracts given to the trashers were foul play. Remember the NHL lockout? How the league got suspended when they tried to introduce a salary cap to keep the teams even, stopping the richer teams from buying up all the best players. Well, the UHL already had a salary cap, and it was a hell of a lot lower than what the NHL were proposing. These minor league pay restrictions made it tough for the Galantes to recruit the players they wanted. So the investigation uncovered that Galante paid some of the players more money, sometimes with cash and other times they were being paid as both players on the hockey team, overtly, legitimately, and then as employees or the relatives as employees of the trash hauling companies in a no-show status. They got wage checks, salaries as being employees at the trash companies and never showed up to work, so they didn't actually work there. Some 
other players I spoke to, some of them seem to say that they like did actually work there sometimes, like the younger players. I don't know if that came up in your investigation. Yeah, I don't recall any evidence or information supporting the idea that any of the players actually, you know, worked at any of the trash hauling companies. And it would be uh, quite surprising to me um, if any claimed that they did. You, you know, it, it certainly within the realm of anything's possible, but uh, there was no evidence, uh, quite the contrary. Speaking to Dave, it's clear that not all the extra contracts given to the trashers were no-show. But the FBI did gather evidence that a few were. And according to Jeff, at the end of the day, all the trashers' contracts effectively amounted to money laundering. You know, the ill-gotten gains from the business funneled, you know, into the hockey team. To be clear, Jeff isn't saying that he thinks Jimmy set up the hockey team solely to clean dirty money. He's saying Jimmy paid for the hockey team with the money he earned through his business, a business Jeff and his team had reason to believe was up to no good. The laws exist to prevent people from using ill-gotten gains from specified unlawful activities in a way that allows you to use them legitimately, if you will. I know what you're thinking. These crimes relating to the trashers all seem a bit technical. Paying players more than you should, okay, it gave the team an unfair advantage, but it doesn't seem like the worst crime in the world to me. That's not it, though. There was a visiting team coming into Danbury, and Galante instructed one of his subordinates to make contact with an associate, and we learned that it was a police officer. In this conversation, Galante's associate and this police officer are chatting about the rival hockey team due to play in Danbury. They get talking about how the police officer might help the trashers out. The police officer offered, if you get this bus to come through my town, I'll write a warrant for whatever you want. You know, this police officer was offering to fabricate a criminal offense against some members of this team. That's not just dirty play. It's a civil rights violation. Yeah, when you take those kinds of lengths, you know, I don't need to read his mind to know that he wanted to win the hockey game at costs like that. So, in the summer of 2005, as the Galantes kicked back on the Lake George beaches, the FBI felt the time was right to take things up a gear. Though their wiretaps, undercover surveillance and network of informants had given them some information, they now needed physical evidence. And they raided Jimmy's business, alerting the whole of Danbury to their interest in the Galantes. But it turns out Jimmy wasn't the only person on the FBI's radar. Law enforcement has started to get a whiff of just how dirty Danbury's trash industry really was. That's coming up after the break. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. 
Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. You can work from the road while turning your vehicle into a powerful high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On a network that covers more roads than any other carrier. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls. Finish up that presentation or answer last-minute emails. Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to see if you're eligible for a free trial today. Based on independent third-party data, always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. When the FBI stormed into Danbury in the summer of 2005, they weren't just raiding Jimmy's yard. Across the city, a number of homes and trash hauling businesses were turned inside out in tandem. 40 search warrants, hundreds of agents. One of the yards getting the FBI once over is Novella Sanitation, a much smaller business than Jimmy's AWD, but a family dynasty too. My grandfather was in the trash business. My grandmother was in the trash business. My father was in the trash business. My mother was in the trash business. My uncle was in the trash business. My cousins were in the trash business. This is AJ. No, not that one. AJ Novella. Unlike AJ Galante, he knew his destiny was not in the garbage business. He went to college and skilled up in a totally different profession. Today, I'm a lawyer. I'm not involved in the trash industry in any respect. AJ Novella was just a child when Jimmy Galante arrived in Danbury in the 1970s. When I was a boy, I would often go on the Novella sanitation trucks. He'd help out in the family business after school and on the weekends. And these trucks had to dump at Jimmy Galante's transfer station. A transfer station is a crucial part of the waste disposal industry. It's where haulers bring their trash so that it can get transferred to landfill sites out of town or burnt on site. And by the time AJ Novella remembers working with his dad, Jimmy Galante owns the biggest transfer station in town. AWD, Jimmy Galante, the White Street facility dwarfed any other facility that a local hauler maintained. Tall dumping facilities, huge bay doors, piles of trash from floor to ceiling, and the trucks would dump into that pile. AJ Novella alleges it was Jimmy who choked his family's business out of the transfer station. But other sources suggest that Novella Sanitation was blocked because they hadn't paid their tab. It's a chicken and egg question here. Were the Novellas unable to pay their bills because Jimmy brought their business to its knees? Or was the business already struggling? Either way, for AJ Novella's family business, being blocked from dumping their trash was a total disaster. It became a crisis. And payroll couldn't be met. Um, Employees started to leave. And the collapse happened pretty quickly. Novella Sanitation became an unviable business and was sold to Jimmy Galante in May 2005. But 
there was a handover period where the novellas had to work under Jimmy for a few months. Anyone who sold to Jimmy, the owner had to work for Jimmy for X amount of time. Whether that's ego or for transition of accounts purposes, but they all had to go work for Jimmy. Which was how AJ Novella says his family found themselves mixed up in the FBI raids that swept through Danbury. I remember getting a call one night from my mother in the middle of the night. And that was not a normal time to get a call from my parents. So I picked up with worry. My mother said, the FBI raided our building. They're here right now. They tripped the alarm. I told her, don't talk to them. Let them do their thing. It was terrifying to sense and hear and feel the fear and worry in her voice and desperation asking me, what should I do? Being a savvy lawyer, AJ Novella advises his parents to let the FBI continue their raid and not to say anything without an attorney present. In the weeks after the raid, the family are left waiting for that dreaded knock on the door. But nothing comes. No arrests. And as for Jimmy, after the raid, it seems like AWD's back to business as normal. When reporter Eugene Driscoll meets him in his office just days after the raid, he doesn't even seem shaken. He hasn't been taken in for questioning. He hasn't been locked up. As the dust settles, all is eerily serene. When they raided, everyone kind of knew there was an investigation going on, but, you know, it made news for a day, and then it kind of got kind of swept under the rug in a way. But AJ Galante could see dark clouds on the horizon. You're kind of on pins and needles, you know, waiting, when's this going to happen? And uh, kind of knew what was coming, but it's just waiting, right? It's like Christmas Eve. You know Christmas is coming. It's just can't sleep because you're like, when's it going to get here already? Before the room is spread out of Danbury, Jimmy does some urgent damage control. He picks up the phone to United Hockey League Commissioner Richard Brussel. He called me and said, look, I don't know what they're looking for, but they're not going to find anything. But I just wanted you to know, you know, just in case you hear anything. I go, all right, no problem. For a man who loves rules and has dedicated his life to making people in the UHL abide by them, Commissioner Brassell is surprisingly chill about an FBI raid on an owner in his league. Surely there's no bigger red flag for rule breaking than that. But when Jimmy calls... Brussels a little distracted. We're so busy preparing for the next season. I mean, you have no idea the hours that it takes to put a schedule together. As the Trasher's second season approaches, there isn't enough time in the day for the commissioner to worry about one of his owner's personal affairs. It wasn't a big enough red flag for me to push the issue further. Were you worried that things were maybe getting out of hand? No, I think I, I, I think if there was any worry, it was, is he evading taxes again? Is that why they got him once before? Are they trying to see if he's paying his taxes again? And as for the Trashers players themselves, no doubt seeing your team owner get raided by the FBI would have raised a few eyebrows. But as the green leaves of summer begin to deepen into the reds and golds of a beautiful Connecticut fool, the team have more pressing matters on their minds. Their second season is nearly here. They have a Colonial Cup to win. And Brad Wingnut Wingfield is determined to get back to the rink. 
The man was the size of the Empire State Building. You knew something was going to happen. He has plans to paint the ice red. Winger told us he's going to injure that guy bad. He wanted to break every bone in his body. Wingnut wants revenge. I was going to try to kill the guy. <laughs> That's coming up next time on The Fighty Pucks. The Fighty Pucks is produced by Novel for iHeartRadio. For more from Novel, visit novel.audio. The series is hosted by me, Claire Crofton, and produced by me, Joe Wheeler, and Amalia Sortland. The executive producer is David Waters. Story editing from Max O'Brien, Mithily Rao, and Austin Mitchell. Our field producer is Babette Thomas. Our fact-checker is Dania Suleiman. Our hockey sensitivity reader is Nikhil Desai. Production management from Cherie Houston and Charlotte Wolfe. Sound design, mixing and scoring by Nicholas Alexander. Additional engineering by Daniel Kempson. Music supervision by Nicholas Alexander and David Waters. Original music composed by Eric Phillips. Willard Foxton is creative director of development. Special thanks to Sean Glynn, Katrina Novell, David Vassaman, Sean Tytone, and Beth Ann Macaluso. Novel. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm. The Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.